Welcome to the Cold Brew Podcast. It is September 30th, and I'm Dave Gasper, as always, joined by Matt Carroll, and we're the guys at ReviewingTheBrew.com. We're at the end of the 2021 regular season. Uh, we're just about there. Uh, plenty to discuss with the postseason just around the corner. And, you know, a lot of listeners may not know this, but like for a lot of the recent episodes, we've been recording like earlier in the day. Um, you know, a lot of them around like, you know, 10, 11 a.m., maybe noon sometimes, you know, somewhere around there, just with, you know, our guests and when the schedules work and when it kind of works out best for each of us. But now it's it's nighttime. You know, brewers are done for the day. You know, we also we also kind of want to avoid trying to record during brewer games because that's tough. But now it's it's later at night and the cold brew podcast can enjoy some cold brews. Now, we we, ha- we haven't really talked about it as much lately, Matt. No, we, we have not. And that makes me a little sad. So in honor of that, I think it's time to crack open a couple of cold brews itself. I'm going to try and hold this up to my little iPhone earbud microphone. And yeah, there it is. See, I got I got a bottle. Got got twist up. Oh, yeah. You hear that? You hear that air release? Yes. Oh, yeah. Beautiful. Oh, we got some nice foam here. We've yeah. got we're both uh, holding great taste. Miller Lights. Less filling. Yes, That's right. What a way uh, this, to celebrate being NL Central champs. Absolutely. And we're going to be smart about our celebrations, and we're not going to end <laughs> up punching a damn wall. <sighs> Unlike some other people we may potentially know. So I, I have on on my, like, in a little sheet here, just, like, you know, notes for, for the pod and what I want to go over. Normally I have, like, stats or things I want to talk about under each subject. For Devin Williams, I just have three letters. W T F. What the fuck, Devin Williams? Oh. Like, so if if you haven't heard the story by now, which you probably have, after the Brewers' uh, clinching of the NL Central and the and the celebration thereafter, um, Devin Williams, you know, went out had had a few more drinks after you know drinking at the celebration, and you know on his uh, way home or whatever and. He got upset at something. He did not tell us what he got upset about. I'm not sure what reason there is to be upset when you're, you know, celebrating clinching the division. But he got upset and punched a wall and broke his hand in doing so. Because when you punch a wall, more often than not, the wall wins. Um, that's just kind of kind of how it goes. Um, I'm a. I think he hit a stud in the wall instead of just going straight through drywall. Because if you're if you're going to break your hand, that's that's got to either be a weak boned hand, which for Devin Williams I don't think that's true. But if you hit a stud, it doesn't matter how strong you are, that's going to break break some bones. Yeah. Um, how does the old quote go? When you get in a fight, don't hit with your pitching hand. Yeah. Devin. Has no one seen Bull Durham? Come on. I mean, well, first off, I mean, obviously you feel terrible for him because he put in so much hard work to get to where he is, to go from prospect to just dominant, dominant reliever last year. And then even this year, you know, he had a rough start to the beginning of the year and then turned it around and was looking a lot like his old self. And so to do this, you know, obviously he didn't want to put the team in this position. And we know that he must feel horrible about this. But, oh, buddy, just not now. Now? Yeah. Oh. Like, like like the whole focus for the entire team, as we're getting down the stretch here, it's like, let's just stay healthy. We don't need yeah. to do anything stupid. We don't need to do anything crazy. Let's just make sure we're all as healthy as we can be. And then this happens. And Williams is now out for the playoffs. There's maybe potentially a chance he could come back in time for the World Series if the Brewers get there. But even then, that may be pushing it. He's going to have to have surgery. A plate is going to be put in his hand to help it heal. And that's just, it, it's such a killer, man. I mean, to of all the people to lose, that's one of the, it, it's a top five worst pitcher to lose. Mm-hmm. Granted, the Brewers have a lot of really great pitchers, but 
Uh, he's in that top five with Josh Hader, Corbin Burns, Brandon Woodruff, and Freddie Peralta. Um, you don't want to lose any of those top five, and you just lost one of them. Um, but it's just it's such an insanely stupid thing to have happen. And it, it, it feels like this entire season, like everything's kind of been going the Brewers' way for the most part. And then this, and it's just, like, what do you even do after this? You know, it's just so shockingly dumb that, like, I, I don't even know what to say almost. Yeah, it does sort of fit in with the Brewers' season, though, um, which was a season full of more injuries than a team should be able to withstand and still make the playoffs. Um, the amount of players who ended up being on the Brewers' roster this season because of those injuries, so you know, you almost in that sense, chalk it up to just another one. But I mean, those were, those injuries were baseball injuries. This is just a stupid, like you said, just dumb, dumb injury. And we've all done, you know, dumb things in our 20s. Especially when drunk. I've done my, I've done my fair share of dumb things when drunk, but I have not punched a wall. All right. And I have not texted my ex drunk. So I've got those two things going for me. Those are the two main things. I did accident, well, accidentally punch my buddy in the crown of the nose while drunk one time. Very, very <laughs> softly. He only ended up with a little mark. And I, I, I'm a lover, not a fighter. I'm not one to throw hands by any means. It's yeah. kind of just a gut reaction. Whoops, but if you're going to throw hands, better to be an actual person and not a wall. Yeah. A fucking wall. Yeah. This episode is being marked explicit because, I mean, we're, we're normally not, like, swearing like this, and I normally don't in front of a microphone, but I'm just going to mark it explicit because this this is a subject that it almost just kind of needs it. Like, what the ad, what, what the hell are you doing? Like, and it was, it was almost funny the next, like, like when it was announced, David Stearns yes. and... Devin Williams are sitting there in the dugout in St. Louis. Stearns is sitting right next to him. And he's basically sitting there. It's like, Devin, you tell the media exactly what you did. You tell them exactly <laughs> what happened. And he's just sitting there like a dog with its tail between its legs. Like it, it, it was, I struggled to come up with a perfect analogy, but it's like, it's like Stearns is like either like a parent or like a teacher, like a principal. And it's like, you're going to come up here and you're going to apologize and you're going to explain what you did and you are going to say you're sorry. And like, it's just meant as a way to embarrass him almost for what happened. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Looked like the disappointed father and the child who got into something he shouldn't have gotten into. Like it, yeah, it started it was, digging it in a neighbor's kind of, yard, and you got to go over to the neighbor and apologize to her or something. It, it was kind of funny in that sense to watch, uh, of a situation that, like, in the end should not be funny. Um, uh, all right, and I was, I was at work, too, last night, and I had uh, people who were fellow Brewers fans at work coming up to me saying, Really? A wall? Really? <laughs> like, yes, I know. I saw yeah. it. It's horrible. It's dumb, but yeah. Uh, and I mean, now when you when you get to the postseason, any sort of celebration, um, everyone's just gonna be like, "For the love of God, everyone, don't punch a wall!" <laughs> and like, there's, I mean, there's they're, they're probably gonna sit like, "Hey, like I want you all to have fun and celebrate, but don't end up punching a wall." And there's going to be like. Devin, like Devin's going to carry that embarrassment and shame throughout the rest of his life, throughout the rest of his career. Whenever there's a celebration, everyone's going to be going up. Hey man, don't punch a wall this time. Like that, that's going to happen for the rest of his career. It's, it's certainly going to happen for the rest of the season. Everyone's going to be looking around. Don't punch a wall. And it, it may curb the excitement at least, you know, until perhaps we get to, you know, a world series victory celebration, uh, knock on wood here. Um, and then at that point, you know, I, I guess whatever, but try not to break your pitching hand. Um, you know, that's, that's a very important hand, you know? And, and honestly, when you go under the knife there to fix all the things in your hand, especially with the pitches that he throws and like what he's able to do with his hand and wrist, who knows if he's going to be able to get to that level of success and that level of nastiness again. Right. I, I, 
to make sure no one else does the same thing. I think we need to, at the end of each round that the Brewers win, wrap the entire clubhouse in bubble wrap. Maybe we need to bring in a couple <laughs> bartenders who have experience. Wrap the hands in bubble off. wrap. Yeah. There we go. Yeah, it, no, whatever we need to do. The Brewers almost had a better idea uh, during their celebration. They decided to wrap their hands in 40-ounce beer. <laughs> yes, they did. Uh, Aaron Ashby, Angel Perdomo, and others. I think it was the rookies. I, I think the rookies had 40-ounce beers taped to their hands, Edward 40 Hands style. You know, if, if you've ever been to a college house party, you know, um, unless that's just a, a lacrosse thing. Um, uh, it's not, not just a lacrosse it's, thing. It's not just a lacrosse I guarantee thing. you. No. Nope. Yeah. But it was very prominent there. I know plenty of people who have done that. But, yeah, 40-ounce beers taped to your hands. Uh, you can't remove them until you drink the beer completely. Uh, not even, you know, it's, it makes it very difficult to try to go to the bathroom. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it certainly does. So you, you're going to have to finish that before before you go. And, yeah, I thought that was absolutely hilarious, <laughs> seeing the brewers just having 40-ounce beers taped to their hands and, Freaking Aaron Ashby's just standing there looking down at him while Sophia Minard's trying to interview him. <laughs> He's like, yeah, I got, got 40 ounce beer tape here. This is great, you know. And uh, I think it was Vogelback or something just came up and was just like spraying beer on him. Says, you're nasty, bro. Absolutely. <laughs> so much fun. And yet neither of them punched a wall afterwards. <laughs> That's true. That is true. They they have their hands fully intact. And I think that's what we may need to do to Dev, Devin Williams next time. To save him from punching a wall, just tape 40-ounce beers to his hands. Maybe have the beer bottles actually fill with, like, water or something uh, to save go. this dude from from uh, doing something to, to himself. Because, I mean, maybe he's just kind of more, more of an upset drunk. I don't know. But, like, I've never been to that point where I'm drunk, where, where I've been that mad that I want to punch a wall. Like, no, no, I, I mean, I'm more, I'm more of an energetic bubbly one when I've had quite a few. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I go social. I, I, I begin to think that I can dance even though I can't <laughs> and, I've, and I have no coordination, but I think I can and I think I look good dancing, but I probably don't. Um, Probably just look like some tall, gangly white dude trying to bust a move, and it's just the cringiest thing alive. Well, but, you are a tall, gangly white dude, so that does make sense. Yes, with cringy dance moves. Um, so <laughs> it's yeah, it, it definitely does check out. Um, but yeah, have not uh, have not punched a wall while doing that. And good on you. Yeah, thank you. Um, not everyone can say that, apparently. <laughs> Man, this is upsetting. Yeah. Anyway. Like, anyways, so sobriety is good. <laughs> we say with our beers in hand. Yes. Yes. Not punching walls is good. If only his nickname nope. was Wallbender instead of Airbender, then <laughs> then maybe he would have gotten away scot-free. If, if he could have made that wall bend to get out of the way of his fist... That would have been really cool, um, but no, he is only he can only bend air, not walls. Um, although he tried to bend a wall and end up ended up <laughs> breaking did. his hand. So with Williams out for the postseason, that takes away your your eighth inning guy in the bullpen, and that's going to open up another bullpen spot for somebody else. Um, so who takes? That bullpen spot. I mean, there's going to be kind of a limited group. We can get to filling the eighth inning role later, but who who gets a spot on the roster now? Because one just opened up for someone to take. Matt, who do you think gets a bullpen spot now that Williams is out? Um, I mean, that's a good question. I mean, we're I have to imagine your locks beforehand were going to be Hader, Boxberger, Suter, Ashby, at the very least. Um, Strickland when he comes back. Yep, Strickland. Maybe you throw like an Eric Lauer in there, like working specifically on the bullpen with one one extra holdover from the rotation because you're only going to have four in the rotation. So it's going to be Hauser or Lauer. Um, So that gets you up to six. Yep. 
And then and if they carry if they carry twelve pitchers, then then you need two more. Right. Yeah. So I mean, uh, Jake Cousins, I think is it because I, I don't think I mentioned him, right? No, no, okay. I, I do not have him counted, and he should be back by then, I believe. Yeah, the, the, it sounded like I, his move to the IL was all precautionary. They just wanted to specifically have him ready for the postseason. Um, yeah. So I think you definitely, I he should be in that mix absolutely for the high leverage um, pitching yeah. situations. Like it's even said, right? And so at that point, do you go with like, do you do take you, Anderson? You yeah, you, you got a couple guys left from the active roster. You got right. um, Anderson, if if you want to, um, but we, we'll talk more about Anderson and, and his mm-hmm. thoughts on that later. Uh, but then you have Daniel Norris, Miguel Sanchez, Yandel Gustave, and Colin yeah. Rhea. Rhea. Ray? I don't know how to spell it. I think Ray. You got Colin uh, <laughs> and for that last spot. I mean, if you're looking between, you know, a couple guys who've been used for a lot of this season, you're looking at Gustave and Sanchez almost. I feel like Sanchez has been more electric at times, but Gustave has almost been more steady. So, I mean, for the most part. So, surprisingly, but he also doesn't, like, I don't see him come in and go, oh, yeah, we're going to rock this. Like, he just kind of is there to me. So, I guess. Yeah, it's just kind of sitting on the edge. It's like, is this going to be a good inning or is this going to be a bad inning? Like, uh, like right. I don't know. Like, you have to, like, pay attention. It's like, is this going well? Yeah, whereas, like, Sanchez has had his moments where I'm like, wow. Like, he actually makes you pay attention a little bit. So, if anything, I don't know. It's tough because you're kind of floating between a few different guys there. So, I mean, Council's going to be a, uh, have a tough decision to make. I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw out – I'm actually going to – if I had to predict, I'm going to say Gustave because for whatever reason I feel like – they just they have a thing for him and they like yeah. him in the bullpen. Not saying that that's who I'd take, but like from a prediction standpoint, I feel like I could end up seeing his name. For my prediction, I'm actually going to lean Sanchez um, yeah. for for that. I mean, it's it's close between him and Gustave, and I think it might come down to who performs best over these final few days. Um, but Sanchez is someone that I mean, that they also kind of like he does have a lot less experience. Um, you know, Gustave has, has a few more years of experience in the big league. Sanchez is a rookie, um, getting his first taste this year. And there'd be a lot of rookies to go with in your postseason bullpen with Sanchez, uh, plus Jake Cousins, plus Aaron Ashby, uh, out there. That, that, that's a lot of rookies to have in a bullpen, um, in the postseason, but they, they've all been pretty good, um, at times, uh, especially, uh, Ashby. So... Yeah, that's it's certainly going to open it up. Um, it, it makes those uh, makes that like sixth, seventh inning uh, maybe a bit more precarious uh, for the Brewers um, because I mean you, you can slot. I think you can move Ashby into the eighth inning role. We saw him in that the other day. Um, you could move around Boxberger. You could put Ashby Suter kind of in that eighth inning spot. Uh, you could put Jake Cousins in there mainly, but that takes him out of those earlier roles so if the starters don't go quite as long you kind of have a shakier middle relief um filling in instead of having someone like ashby in middle relief and getting it to williams and Hayter to close it out yeah and keep in mind too it, it all depends on how the game shakes out we could see situations where you have corbin burns pull out one of his masterful corbin burns appearances and he goes seven and you only need Boxberger and Hader to finish it out. You could have a situation where, you know, one of them goes short, but then you throw in Eric Lauer, and Eric Lauer is able to give you three, four innings and then bridge you to that um, eighth and ninth inning. So there could be situations where you really only need to use um, those two guys in uh, Big Bad Brad and Hader. <laughs> So it, it, it'll all depend on how the game flows. Obviously, you need to carry, you know, your, a full staff of pitchers um, for depending on what happens. But um, best case scenario would be that you're not really even having to worry about using a Gustave or a Sanchez or, you know, whomever they end up carrying. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, the, those guys are going to be used, you know, a lot less often uh, when it comes to the postseason. And yeah, I mean, if you get Woodruff from Burns and, and Pearlton, you get all those guys going deep into games, then 
it doesn't, you know, the middle relief doesn't really matter. Um, but still, it, overall, I think they still have the arms uh, out there in that bullpen to to be solid and to be good in the um, throughout the postseason. It'd just be really nice to have Williams uh, among that group. Um, you know, they they should be able to cover that spot and they should be fine. But um, it's it's certainly going to be a lingering question mark, especially if the Brewers get sent home early uh, and they don't end up winning at all. It's going to be a major question. What if they had Devin Williams? Um, you know, would that have changed anything similar to 1982? What if they had Raleigh fingers? Um, when I, I think we all kind of know if they had Raleigh fingers, they would have won that series. Um, and could, could we end up looking at a similar case here and I, I think that really is only going to kind of depend on if, in his role, if the Brewers' bullpen buckles in that eighth inning um, and they start losing games because they don't have someone dependable out there in the eighth. Yeah. Correct me if I'm wrong, though. Uh, I don't believe Raleigh Fingers punched a wall, correct? No, no. He oh, okay. suffered an actual okay. baseball okay. injury. Yes. Got it. Got it. Um, it, it, it it's kind of interesting, though, the way you think about it. Um, the Bucks actually just went through a, well, a non-wall punching situation with Dante DiVincenzo going down at the beginning of the playoffs um, for them. And they had to kind of go the rest of the way without one of their starters. And, you know, the team rallied. Um, you saw, you know, P.J. Tucker join the starting lineup on most occasions. Um, and then, lo and behold, the Bucks make their way to an NBA championship. And so, you know. There's always been this like interesting, you know, mirror between the Bucks and the Brewers this season, where it's these two Milwaukee teams both going for a championship, and like the Bucks are trying or Brewers are trying to follow in the Bucks' footsteps. And now we have this actually similar situation where a key component of the roster goes down right at the beginning of the playoffs. And so, um, just an just an interesting comparison I thought uh, that I saw pointed out. So you know. Who knows? You know, maybe the bullpen, the guy, those guys there end up having his back, picking him up and, you know, putting in a really strong performance. Um, I've seen crazier things happen. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and that's kind of a, a comparison I saw a lot of people uh, make. And, you know, I, I think it's I think it's pretty close to accurate. I mean, yeah, Dante DiVincenzo is a huge piece for the Bucks. Um, and losing him, it's like, oh, no, this is going to completely derail our, our title hopes. Um, and then Giannis says, surprise, no, it doesn't. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, hopefully the Brewers can be able to kind of kind of rally from this um, and, and end up being fine. But, man, it's just it's just kind of a, a tough blow. And there, there's going to be the wall punching jokes forever, um, <laughs> not only on this podcast, but uh, pretty much everywhere. So. Let's kind of move to a, a different part of the staff, and I want to talk. Uh, I want to talk Eric Lauer a little bit. Uh, there was an article that came out in the Athletic uh, on on Thursday here about Lauer and his success, and he had some very very interesting uh, quotes in this in this article, and I thought they were absolutely. Hilarious. He has a whole different uh, dictionary for his pitches. You know, he he calls all of his pitches different things than than you expect. Oh, you you'd expect this is called a fastball. No, Eric Lauer calls it a zoom ball because why not? Um, he calls <laughs> a pit. He calls his slider bullet because why not? Um, you know, he, he wants funky names. He, he seems like a really funky dude. He's left-handed though. That, that explains well, a lot. Yep. Um, he, he's his own style of, of person. And, and Will Salmon puts it beautifully here with, with a glossary of Eric Lauer. Um, and, and just really some, some fantastic quotes here. And just, just from this article, uh, talking about his zoom ball, um, which is, basically his forcing fastball that he wants to put at the top of the zone. All right. So he said, it's just a thought process that I had. Like if we're Oh two, one, two on a guy and we want to go with a fastball up, I'm not just trying to throw a fastball. I'm trying to let that bitch zoom. I'm trying to let it shoot out of my hand. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, I try to keep a straight face for that. 
That's just not possible. That's amazing. Let that bitch amazing zoom. All-time quote from a Brewers player. I'm trying to let that bitch zoom. Uh, <laughs> and no, not amazing. Bitch. Like, yeah. with, with a hard B. Like, <laughs> I mean, whatever it takes for him to find what he needed to find, and he sure found it this season. Eric Lauer, uh, ever since the middle of the summer, one of the best starting pitchers in the National League. I mean, really, when you look at it by ERA, I mean, he's been out of his mind. And it definitely makes that trade now, especially with noted power hitter Luis Urias. Yes. Um, definitely makes that trade for Zach Davies uh, to, I should say, to let go Zach Davies and Trent Grisham look a lot better, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, it, it really does. And what they've been able to do with, with unlocking Lauer. And there, there's this other uh, funny part here, too, in the article where he said he, he's essentially called that pitch a Zoom ball his entire career, like like his entire life. But he never said it out loud. Um, and then he, they were in like a, a pitcher's meeting or something this year. And he called it a zoom ball and everyone else looked at him like he was from outer space. It's like, what in the hell is a zoom ball? He's like, don't you guys call that your fastball? No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it, it's amazing. And this article by Will, and, and if you aren't subscribed to the, to the athletic, I definitely recommend it. I mean, it's, uh, there, there's some really great stuff there uh, in that article. And it's basically, I mean, Chris Hook trying to crack the code, crack the lexicon that, that is Eric Lauer and try to understand uh, who he is and just what the hell he's talking about and how to understand him and how to reach him. Um, and I, first of all, I think it speaks to just how great of a pitching coach uh, Chris Hook is um, and how awesome he is and being able to to crack that and understand what he's talking about, what he needs um, and to help him get to this level of success that he's had um, by letting that bitch zoom. And <laughs> it's just been, it's just been a, an incredible season for him and the results speak for themselves. Yeah, absolutely. Remember when everyone uh, wanted Chris hook gone and Derek Johnson yep. immediately back after, of course, like one season, because that's all it takes to, Write yeah. the final verdict on someone. Yeah, because yeah, 2019 got off to a rough start. Yeah. And so it was, oh, my gosh, how we, could we let Derek Johnson go? Not to speak negatively of Derek Johnson. Obviously, he's done a heck of a job uh, in Cincinnati with the Reds pitching staff. Um, but Chris Hook, look at where we are now. I mean, it, our pitching staff is one of the, if not the most feared pitching staff in the National League, as it should be. Because look at now, you know, on top of the guys we knew were going to be good, um, you've got Freddie Peralta, who's emerged as a starter. You've got Eric Lauer, who has turned become just a revelation in the second half of the season. You had Adrian Hauser having one of the best seasons of his career. Um, guys like Jake Cousins coming out of nowhere. I mean, it's amazing what this guy has done. Um, and he's got guys creating zoom balls among other things <laughs> and and risers and bullets and all these other fancy words and yeah it's it's just crazy and i think it was a, a week or so ago um i saw this from from adam mccalvey a uh, friend of the podcast uh, he and will friend of friends of the podcast um and, and david cerns kind of asked the reporters he's like when are you guys going to do story on chris hook you know, because the pitching staff has been magnificent and Hook has been kind of the guy behind all this. And I think we wondered aloud a couple of weeks ago on the podcast, like, who is the mastermind of this pitching success? Is it Hook? Is it someone else? And it's sounding like it's Hook. It, it sounds like Chris Hook is the mastermind behind this Brewers pitching success um, up and down the organization, but especially here at the big league level. And. You know, Adam McKelvey had his article, and it looks like this is uh, Will Salmon's article digging on it, and he basically kind of found how Hook helped Lauer uh, become a stud. And it's just kind of really, really incredible to see how maybe losing Derek Johnson was a complete blessing. You know, I mean, over there in Cincinnati, like, yeah, he's had some success. They also have no bullpen out there, and Cincinnati's missed the playoffs, although I don't know how yeah. much you can blame all of that on Johnson. But how much of that success was Johnson and how much, you know, was having Hook as the minor league pitching coordinator and, and helping those guys come up um, and having these guys pitch better? 
Um, so there's, you know, a lot of, of credit that uh, needs to go to Chris Hook, um, and, and he's starting to get it. Yeah, and we had a feeling that um, having Chris Hook as the pitching coach and having worked with some of these guys in the minor leagues during his time down there would end up being a positive for the Brewers, and it certainly seems like it has. Um, but it, it's interesting how, you know, you hear everyone seems to know the coaches' names when things are going poorly. When no one's hitting, everyone knows Andy Haynes' name. And mm. at the beginning, when it doesn't seem like the pitching is going well, everyone knows Chris Hook's name. But once things start going well, then you kind of just stop hearing about those guys. And I guess it's, you know, one of those uh, sometimes thankless jobs where, um, it, I guess, in, in a sense, like a referee or an umpire, where you know you're doing your job if people aren't talking about you. Um, and that's it's sad because that's not the way it should be. Uh, absolutely. These guys should be receiving all of the recognition for what they've done. And Chris Hook, uh, as much as any, you know, coach, front office guy, whoever on this team deserves all the recognition in the world for what he's gotten this Brewers pitching staff, uh, what level he's gotten them to. Yeah. And it's and it seems like he's made some like changes and deviations to from what uh, Derek Johnson uh, had done. Um, so he, he's kind of, you know, running his own program here. He's not just, you know, running the, the Derek Johnson program on autopilot. He's, he's running his own program, uh, which is uh, really great to see. And, and the results again, speak for themselves. Um, speaking of, uh, another, uh, pitcher, perhaps maybe not a success story, but Brett Anderson, um, he had uh, his final start of the regular season on Thursday here. And possibly his uh, final start overall in a Brewers uniform. I mean, he's not really a strong consideration to make the postseason roster uh, with Eric Lauer and Adrian Hauser uh, pitching so well um, and really needing uh, a smaller rotation in the, in the postseason. Uh, Anderson can read the writing on the wall. I mean, he knows he's he's nowhere near as talented as as those other five guys in the rotation. Uh, and he's not likely to be a bullpen piece. He's, I think, only had 12 bullpen appearances his entire career. Um, so he's not he's not a bullpen guy. Um, and he kind of, in his comments post-game today, um, made it kind of seem like he's not going to make the roster and that, that he knows that. Um, and he said, like, you know, if I made uh, – if the pi- if the pitches I threw today were my last as a brewer, I will feel sad, but also grateful because this organization is top notch and free agents should feel lucky to sign here, which it's like, Oh, that's so nice. and so sweet, especially considering most of Twitter hates his guts. <laughs> right. Um, and I mean, come on, like, is the guy perfect? No. Um, is he the worst pitcher, uh, starting pitcher we've ever had? Not by a long shot. I mean, even this season when uh, Brett Anderson pitched in a game, the Brewers were 10 and 12. So it's not like we were constantly losing games just because of Brett Anderson. Not anywhere remotely close. Um, A 4.30 ERA. On a lot of stats, you're fine with that at the end of your starting rotation. It just so happens that that ERA, in comparison to a lot of the amazing ones on the Brewers staff, obviously does not look as great. But Um, Brett Anderson, you know, did his job when called upon. Um, Yeah, he started going through some injuries again this year. We know he's had that history in his past. Um, But Anderson has been a great teammate. He's been an awesome Twitter presence. Um, But I think you uh, put it perfectly that he sees the writing on the wall. And I don't think that just is related to this postseason. I think that's looking forward to next season as well, because could the Brewers decide to bring him back for yet another, you know, cheap one-year contract? Sure. But when you look at how the other pitchers in this rotation have pitched, and you have now potentially Ashby getting added to it in the future, as well as Ethan Small, I mean, there's just not going to be a spot for Brett Anderson in the future. And I think he's very aware of that. And, you know, that's what happens. You you give way, veterans end up giving way to, you know, the younger prospects. So, I, I hope that, you know, at some point, maybe, you know, during one of the 
maybe during one of the seven game series, they need, you know, a pitcher like Anderson who can throw some more innings. I don't know. Um, I'd, I'd like to see him uh, pitch another inning, but I would certainly understand if he doesn't, especially based off of what we were talking about earlier when it comes to the uh, bullpen situation that the Brewers are going to be in. Yeah, and especially with his contract being up after this year, and it's like, okay, Lauer and Ashby are here, Ethan Small's right behind. There's not really room in that rotation, and, and he knows he's not going to be uh, signing back. He had some amazing quotes, too, post-game, um, and just kind of his post-game interview. He said, we have a sur- we have a good surplus of st- – I'm, I'm quoting from him here. We have a good surplus of starters. Maybe if an opposing starter throws hard left-handed, I can pitch at 55 feet and throw live BP or something. I'll keep throwing and stay ready, and we'll see what happens. Um, and then when he was – when he was asked if he was bothered at all by, you know, the uncertainty of whether he'll crack the roster, he said, quote, that's how the postseason works. It's a good problem to have five really good starters and whatever I am. <laughs> so he's got a good sense of humor about it. I feel like he's been hanging out with Bob Uecker a lot um, with the self-deprecating yeah. attitude. Him and Yelich have just been so self-deprecating this season. It's insane. Like, I, I swear they're Bob Uecker's best friends. That's that's exactly what I was going to ask you is who is more self-deprecating on this team, Anderson or Yelich? Because they both and you know what? That's it, it's it's a good perspective to have on things that like it's not the end of the world when things go wrong. Um, just turn it around and do better the next day. And both of them seem to, you know, have that view on life, which is good. But, man, that, it also makes them good for some uh, quotes when uh they want to make poke fun at themselves a little bit. I feel like Yelich is more kind of the goofy self-deprecating, whereas Brett Anderson is the kind of, you know, gruff self self-deprecating. I don't know. I, I feel like Yelich isn't quite as goofy. I feel like he's still just more like actually pissing himself, you know, like he's like legit angry, you know, like, yeah, you know, um, uh, Anderson's kind of, you know, gruff. It's a very dry sense of humor. I feel for yes. Anderson, very dry. Yelich, it, it's a lot just like, I suck right now. And he's just like <laughs> legitimately mad that yeah. he sucks right now. And he's like, yeah, I straight up suck right now. Like, it's not just, hey, well, you know, I'm I'm over the hill. I don't throw that hard, you know, whatever. It's going to happen. Everyone else is way better than me. Um, Yelich is just kind of more like a legit, like, I suck and I hate this and I hate sucking. <laughs> but yeah. Right. Yeah. It, either way, it, like I said, it, it makes for some good quotes and uh, definitely makes them uh, fun to listen to. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, speaking of, um, I don't know what about speaking of, but uh, fun guys, Kesson Hira, sort of. Yeah. Uh, Kesson Hira is back in the big leagues for now uh, <laughs> for the final four games of the season. Kesson Hira will be up. With the big league club, uh, came back, played in his first game since July here on Thursday. And he had a base hit, had a couple other really good hard hit balls that ended up getting caught. Um, But with Rowdy Telez on the mend and on his way back, with Daniel Vogelback uh, here, with uh, Jace Peterson, with Eduardo Escobar, with other guys that can cover first base, why in the world is Keston Hira back? It, I don't. It was odd. Like, yes, he has had a good run um, to finish the minor league season with the Nashville Sounds. Like, I, I get that. Um, but like you said, it's kind of, I don't know. Like, it, it's taking at bats away from guys who you want to keep, you know, fresh and in a regular routine. Um, so. Yeah, it, it was puzzling to me as well. I, I'm glad to see him doing well. It, it was nice to see him in a Brewers uniform again and hitting the ball hard. Like that's all great, but I I, I don't I don't know. Um, I don't I, I honestly don't know that that one uh, took me by surprise for sure. Yeah, I I honestly don't know. I mean, it, it's like I I get that maybe you want to end the season on a high note. Um, you know, have him come up, get some plate appearances at the big leagues, um, have him go into the offseason feeling good. It's like, okay, I found some success again at the big league level. It is possible. I can do it. 
Um, perhaps the Brewers, you know, want to see if he's going to be able to do that. Cause I mean, when it comes to this off season, they're going to have some decisions to make because they are not going to go into 2022 with Keston Hira and Daniel Volgeback and Rowdy Telez all for first base. They're, they're not yeah. going to do that. Like, like someone's going to move somewhere. Volgeback and Telez cannot play any other positions. Hira is not going to go back to second base because Colton Wong's still going to be here and there's nowhere else for him to go. Um, and unless there's a DH that gets added, you're not going to be able to keep all three. And even if there is a DH, I'm not sure they might, they'll necessarily want to still keep all three. Um, but without a DH, there's certainly no way that they can. Um, so you have to kind of decide. Hira, you know, as we've kind of talked about previously, Hira has the high ceiling. He brings, he can bring a whole lot more than what Volgaback or Telez can bring. But Volgeback and Telez are steady. You may not get big time production, but you'll get something you, like, like you know what you what you're going to get with those guys. With Keston, you don't know what you're going to get. You could get way below Telez and Vogelback. You could get way above Telez and Vogelback. You don't know at this point. So I think they want to try to give themselves some sort of opportunity to see is he close enough to being back that we can feel comfortable letting one of Telez or Vogelback go and going back to Keston as a regular everyday first baseman next season. Yeah. And I'm, I'm sure that has a lot to do with it. Um, It's Keston here is absolutely in their future plans. He has to be, he's like you said, he's too talented not to be. Um, He's younger than either of the other two. Um, This year was a year for him to, you know, go down, reset, figure it out, um, kind of, you know, take perspective on his personal life, um, and really come back, uh, just for the most part with a vengeance in 2022. And speaking of, we have to mention this, speaking of personal life, the best news of the day absolutely came, um, when it was mentioned that Kesson Hira's mother is officially in remission from cancer. Mm-hmm. That is about as good as it absolutely gets. Um, and they're saying that she's going to be able to be at uh, the Dodgers series to actually watch him play. I mean, that moment is going to be one that Brewers fans are going to want to see. So, I mean, regardless of what happened to him this season and anything that happens with this team, that's one of the best stories that we're going to hear all year. Yeah, absolutely. Just, just fantastic, incredible news uh, for the hero family. And um, really awesome to see. And, you know, when, when it came to Keston's struggles on the field, you know, there's a lot of people are kind of pointing out, it's like, yeah, his, like in his personal life, his mom is going through cancer treatment and that's going to weigh on a person, you know, yeah. when, when, when you're going through that, um, or, or you, or you have someone close to you like that going through that. So, you know, you got to cut him a little slack there. Um, but you know, then it, you could tell it also got to the point during the season where he was pressing too much uh, to try and, you know, cover up for that and, and try to get back into a group at the plate. And it just, it just wasn't working. It just doesn't work when you try to press like that. So, um, you know, just kind of needed a reset when they sent him down the first time, like they gave him like a week. It's like, go home, go see your mom, go hang out with the family. Um, they gave him some time there on, on that. So, you know, it's just kind of trying to do what you can while also getting what you need um, from from him. So it's it's, it's a very difficult uh, line to walk. Um, but Keston's back. Uh, I don't foresee him making the postseason roster, but stranger things have happened, like getting drunk and punching a wall. Oh. Uh, we went so long without having reference <laughs> back to that, but that well, is the we theme had of to. the episode. Yeah. It is. It is the theme. I think this episode is going to be titled Punching Walls and Breaking Hands um, <laughs> because it kind of has to be. Anyways, yeah. moving on. A Cy Young battle update. Uh, I think I think you got to have Corbin Burns in the pole position and in, in the front runner position now. In his last couple of starts, Max Scherzer has really kind of given up a whole bunch of runs. Uh, he's had a rough go of it. Walker Bueller uh, has also had a rough go of it his last couple of starts. The Dodgers have still somehow been winning. Um, <laughs> you know, his his start uh, on Wednesday, Max Scherzer gave up like five runs, uh, five, six runs and five and a third. 
And the Dodgers were down 9-6 in the eighth inning. And they hit like three home runs in the span of like four batters to all of a sudden tie the game. And the next thing you know, they hit a, get a couple more hits and then they're up 11-6. And it's just like the Padres are collapsing horribly and the Dodgers are just insane. Um, but yeah, just, just nuts. But Corbin Burns, he's going to have one final start. And it's going to be against the Dodgers. Against the Dodgers, uh, he's going on Saturday, and that's going to be kind of the spot where he could lock in uh, being the Cy Young. He is currently in line for the ERA title. He can finish that off uh, with a strong start on Saturday uh, and clinch. I believe is that the would that be the first ERA title in Brewers history? I believe it would be. Um, I, th- I think so. Because he tried I, I for it last year, and, and, I, and I think that was going to be the first time because yeah. Jeff D'Amico and like a couple other guys like came close, but they always just kind of stunk it up uh, in the final start to to lock it in. Um, so he's going to be going for that. Um, so there, there's kind of a lot riding um, on that start, even though for the Brewers, nothing's going to change whether they win or lose, but a lot riding for Burns personally. Uh, when it comes to that awards race, when it comes to uh, the ERA title and, and things like that. So uh, very important uh, coming up there. And he's, he's certainly the front runner now, I believe, if he wasn't already before. Right. And that's the exactly the thing is Corbin Burns always should have been the front runner for this. Yes. I, when you look at, you know, all the stats you want to look at, there's absolutely no reason why anyone should have been talking about anyone but Corbin Burns for the last few weeks now when it comes to the NL Cy Young. Yet, Max Scherzer has name recognition. Walker Buehler plays in a big market. So, of course, you know, those were the two names that a lot of the, you know, big talking heads were discussing. But Corbin Burns has earned this. He did. We talked about this, I think, last week. You know, we've talked about this every single week the entire season. Well, yeah, let's be honest. (laughs) Um, He... From doing, you know, having historic walkless streaks to start the season to, you know, just flat out dominating and then combining for uh, the second Brewers no hitter in franchise history. Um, How can you look anywhere except for Corbin Burns? It's just sad that he's not being talked about more than he is. Yeah, it's it's insane. I mean, that that's the only thing, really, I think that's changed in the last week or so is kind of the narrative around the Cy Young race because it really it should have been Burns from from the get go here and you know perhaps it, it's just kind of taking a few people w- within the Twitter sphere within the writer sphere to kind of recognize like like yeah okay Scherzer's kind of fallen off Bueller's fallen off Burns is still going it's it's got to be him because ultimately it the vote lies with the baseball writers mm-hmm. and the baseball writers are controlling the articles and they're basically in charge of of the narrative because, because they write those articles covering those things. So if they're all kind of putting out there, yeah, it should be Scherzer or it should be Burns or whatever that can have a major influence or be an indicator of where things actually stand in the Cy Young voting, but it should be Burns. Yeah. What's unfortunate. I, I wish Brandon Woodruff would have gotten one more, uh, chance to start and it sounds like uh, from what they're saying it they said it's unlikely that he will pitch again before the National League Divisional Series um, but had he had one more strong start with uh, no runs given up there was an outside chance that he could have actually gone one two with Corbin Burns in the ERA because he is just below Scherzer and Bueller um, sad that yeah. we couldn't see the Brewers one, two punch end up going one, two in ERA for the season. But I mean, it's still amazing what those two have done this year for the Brewers. Yeah, it, it's been absolutely uh, incredible. And I mean, Woodruff has fallen off really in the Cy Young race. I think he still could end up being top five, maybe, uh, mm-hmm. certainly top 10, but yeah, it, it's going to be, it's going to be tough for him there. Uh, let's move on now to our mailbag segment this week because we, you know, we did a little mailbag. We didn't have a guest this week for, for the second week in a row. Um, but I uh, wanted to get your questions uh, and answer them as best as we can. So let's, let's get into those now. Um, we got a question from 
Uh, Tyler, Tyler Rouse, one of our uh, contributors actually reviewing the brew, wants to know the likelihood of a Woodruff or Burns contract extension this offseason and what our predictions are for uh, what the years could be and what the money could end up looking like. Um, so Woodruff and Burns, obviously the two big contract extension candidates for the Brewers uh, this offseason, whenever they get around to that. They're not worried about that now, obviously. Um, but at some point, once the, once the games are over, they are going to be worried about it and, and they are going to be starting to think about it. And when you look at these two, Woodruff is going to be entering his second year of arbitration and his salary is going to go way up. Corbin Burns is going to be entering his first year of arbitration. He is making $608,000 this year. <laughs> He's going to make way more money. Yeah, just yeah. a little bit. Just a little bit. So these, both of these guys uh, have three more years of team control. They're under team control through the 2024 season. But as each year goes along, they're going to be getting more and more expensive. So if you lock them into a contract extension, uh, then you kind of get some cost certainty over the next few years. So will they do it? I think the Brewers should try uh, to, to start contract extension talks. Will Woodruff and Burns be open to it? I do not know. Um, at last report, um, I think I saw this a couple weeks ago, the Brewers have not opened any contract extension talks with Burns. Um, I forget who reported that. I'd love to give them credit, but I forgot. Um, but they haven't opened that yet, and they probably just don't in season. Um, but if they were going to do this, um, and I think they're going to want to at some point. It's going to be at minimum four years because you're going to buy out at least one year of, of free agency. But I think you're going to be looking at five, maybe six years, um, possibly more. Um, but but let's say five or six years for both of these guys. Um, do you think that's probably about a, a good range? Yeah, I think that's safe to say. Um, I, I know it's easy to look back at Freddie Peralta's uh, five-year extension that he got um, during the offseason, um, but Freddie Peralta's a different situation. He wasn't quite as proven at the time when he got his, um, there, which means they were able to give him, you know, less, less money than they probably would have, you know, had they been looking at an extension now. Um, he's making um, eight million towards the end of his. Um, yeah, Fred, so Freddie imagine, and Woody are going to be making a lot more than that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you have to imagine Corbett and uh, Woodruff uh, get quite a bit of a raise up from that. Um, I think the the big question then is, is it both of them? Is it one of them? Is it neither of them? You know, so who ends up getting the extensions? Um, and yeah. also going into this season, I, we were all, I think, as Brewers fans wondering, when is Woodruff going to get that extension? We didn't quite know that Corbin Burns was going to turn into this. So I did. Uh, well, okay. I'm sorry. You very <laughs> much knew this was going to happen. Uh, conductor of the Corbin Burns Cy Young hype train. Yes, thank um, you. That said, um, many of us didn't. So now you have these two very obvious extension candidates, and who ends up getting it? And you have to imagine Corbin Burns is definitely in the lead for it. Um, but you also want a proven guy like Brandon Woodruff. Um, so I, I would I would wager that one of them will get the extension in the offseason and that it'll be Burns. I think five years is a pretty safe estimate of years as for what he's going to make. Uh, I'm no math magician here. Um, all I can <laughs> say is it's going to be more than Peralta. Yes, it, it is 100% going to be more than Peralta. I mean, when Peralta signed his, they were still kind of concerned, like, oh, is he going to be a starter? Is he going to be a reliever? You know, if he turns out to be a reliever, you know, it's like, okay, these are, you know, pretty solid salaries, I guess. But if he's a starter, it's an absolute steal. Um, and he's turned out to be a starter, and this contract has turned out to be an absolute steal uh, for Freddie. Mm. Um, I also agree with you that if it's going to be one or the other between Woodruff and Burns, I think it's going to be Burns. And it's because of a reason also I, uh, you didn't mention there. Look at the age. Brandon Woodruff is yeah. 28. Corbin Burns yep. is 26. So he's two years younger. They're going to reach free agency at the same time. Woodruff, when he reaches free agency, he's going to be 31 
going on 32. Burns, when he reaches that, he's going to be 29. So Corbin Burns is certainly going to be more valuable because he's two years younger. Um, and plus, he's just been pitching better right now. But, I mean, really, you could be splitting hairs between them. Um, and Corbin has a lot of hair. Uh, and Woodruff <laughs> has a lot on his face. Um but yeah, so I, I think Corbin would be the guy if they would go with just one of them. I think they're going to try for both, um, or at least they should. Um, but I think if you're going to lock them up to a, an extension now, after what he's put up this season, you may be pushing the 100 plus million dollar overall range. Um, it may be f- over five years, it may be over six. Um, they may try to spread it over longer, um, you know, six years, hundred million or something. Um, but Burns is is ready for a pay raise, and you know, I'm not sure. I, I don't think him or his agent uh, would be willing to accept a, a Peralta style, you know, start low and work your way up. You know, as you, because you're a younger guy, not quite proven yet, um, with, with what he's done over last year and this year, and especially. Uh, if slash when he wins the Cy Young uh, this season, that's going to up his leverage and his negotiating mm-hmm. power. And it's like now you're you're not just paying for a good starter. You're paying for a Cy Young winner. And he's going to want that money and he's going to want that starting. So um, if you're going to sign him to a five, six year extension, you're going to be pushing uh, nine figures to overall. Yeah, I I would be interested also, though, to see if the. Uh, a strategy is to lock one of them up this off season. And then next off season after Kane's money comes off the books, if mm-hmm. that's when they work on the other one. Yeah. They, they may try to backload it and, you know, they probably would understand as well. Like Woodruff or Burns would understand like, Hey, we'd love to pay you $10 million more right now, but we're paying 18 million to Kane uh, this next season. So once that comes off the books, we can start paying you more um, next season. Um, and they may end up being fine. I mean, as long as they get, you know, the overall money, you know, I think they'll, I think they'll be good. And the average annual value will still average out. Uh, so they'll, they'll end up being fine on that front. So th- that's just kind of where I, th- I think things stand right now. Um, and we'll kind of see where they end up going and, and how much money they end up uh, having available. All right, let's move down to the next question here from the mailbag uh, from Dan Kiefer. Wants to know if the Brewers are going to make a postseason run, what position player and what pitcher need to get hot for them to have a successful deep postseason run? So who who are they really kind of depending on to break out and just go off for a month uh, to to get them where they want to go? Well, that's a good question. Um, I think with hitter, the easiest uh, route to go is Christian Yelich. Yeah. Um, we the Brewers would absolutely love for him to catch fire um, when it's most important to do so. Um, so I'm gonna go try and go just a different direction because that's the obvious one on everyone's minds probably. Um, I'm I'm gonna go with Eduardo Escobar. Um, I think they brought him in for a reason. I think we've got other guys who you know have been consistent for the most part this year. Um, when you've got guys like you know Rios. Um, or Avi Garcia or Omar Narvaez, who've, you know, been, like I said, relatively kept up their production all year. Um, but you brought Escobar in to win a World Series, to go as far as you can possibly go this season. So I think as a hitter for me, he's the one that um, I think if he gets on a roll in the postseason, that's going to pay the hugest dividends for the Brewers. Um, and on the pitching side, um, I'm going to go with Jake Cousins. I think now that uh, Devin Williams is out. Um, he is going to play a huge role at the back end of that bullpen. And as long as he can lock it down and look like he's looked uh, in some games, um, it'll be harder to notice Devin Williams' Williams's absence. Yeah, I think those are two two really good calls there. Um, and because you said Eduardo Escobar, I think I can't uh, say Eduardo <laughs> Escobar. Uh, Jace Peterson. No, I'm, I'm just Jace Peterson. Um, I, wow. I'm going to say Willie Adamas, uh, just because he's brought so much of a spark all season long. And, and when he's going, the rest of the offense is going. I mean, the, the, the offense is following Adamas this year, not Yelich, uh, thankfully, because Adamas has been much better 
Um, But I I think it's got to be Adamas. He's kind of been a little bit cold here um, since coming back from the IL, trying to get back into a groove, uh, trying to get back to 100%. um, But I I think it's going to end up being him. I I think if he's hot, the rest of the lineup is going to be hot. They're all going to follow. And it's just really going to help set the table because you know Wong is going to be setting the table pretty well uh, in the leadoff spot. Adamas is normally two or three, somewhere around there. Um, and then, you know, if he's going, then you really kind of get into a really good position with runners in scoring position uh, for Yelich, for Eduardo Escobar, Abisail Garcia, uh, Omar Narvaez, Luis Arias, the guys who are, you know, going to be driving in the runs. Um, so if Adamas is going and, and getting guys moving, um, I, I think that's when they're going to be in, in a really good spot. Um, and as far as the, the pitching side, um, who needs to get hot? I'm going to say Freddie. Uh, Freddie has been, you know, since, since coming back from the shoulder, um, you know, it hasn't been kind of what he was before completely. I mean, a really good start there in, in Detroit, uh, before the rain. Um, and, uh, he kind of needs to be the, the member of the big three right now. It seems kind of almost like a, like a big two. And then Peralta's just kind of a little bit behind. I mean, he always kind of was, um, uh, we always kind of saw, you know, Woodruff and Burns is, it's kind of a little bit up there, but the way Peralta was pitching most of the season, I mean, he was right there with them um, with the, I think he's got, I think he leads the league in either uh, games allowing like two hits or less, um, yeah. like starts allowing two hits or less or something. So if you can get that Freddie Peralta back to be your number three starter behind Burns and Woodruff, then I think you're going to be unbeatable in, in the postseason. Yep. I like it, um, but I don't know why this just popped into my head, but can we just real quick do an appreciation shout out for Josh Hader this season? I mean, yes. how much have we taken this guy for granted in how just absolutely dominant he has been and is going to bring home, let's be honest, the fourth NL reliever of the year in a row for the Brewers, which is also an insane thing to think about. Yeah, he's been absolutely insane. I think he's only blown one save all season, knocking on wood. Um, and I don't think he's allowed to run since July, knocking on wood again. Um, so, yeah, been absolutely uh, spectacular and certainly kind of uh, taken for granted almost. Where it's just like, oh, he's out there. We got this. It's fine. Uh, it, it's almost expected at this point. All right. Uh, last question here from the mailbag uh, from FHL for Kids. Uh, surprise player on the postseason roster. So who's going to make the roster that's a surprise, I think? Um, I don't know that it's going to happen, but I could see a world where the Brewers go 15 hitters and 11 pitchers and Pablo Reyes sneaks onto that very Pablo. last spot. As a pinch runner, basically, um, I again, I'm not I'm not predicting it'll happen, but I think that would be the surprise as if there was going to be a surprise, because I don't think it is would be absolutely unheard of. I, I think that's a little bit of a crazy shift to hitters. Um, but with shortened rotations, I don't think it's impossible. And if that happens, you know, he's a guy that you could absolutely, you know, throw onto the base paths to be a burner late in the game. Yeah, absolutely. Um, he'd he'd be a good option for that, and because I mean you're you're probably not bringing him up for his bat uh, at all. Right. Um, but I don't I don't know if this is going to be a surprise pick. Um, but I've kind of alluded to him not making the roster before, um, and there's kind of been some growing thoughts about it. But what about Jackie Bradley Jr.? You know, like, especially if they go 15 position players, you know, uh, Jackie's g- going to make it. And I think he could be also a good option as that uh, pinch runner um, and, and late inning defensive substitute um, for Yelich or Garcia or, or whoever you want out there. Um, but, I mean, Bradley is someone who I don't think should get any at-bats uh, in the postseason. You just you just cannot trust him with the bats. I mean, any at-bat he should get should be completely accidental. Um, at, at this point. So I think that should be kind of his role as kind of a pinch runner, late inning, uh, defensive substitute. Um, and I mean, really with how well Tyrone Taylor has played 
and with how well Chase Peterson has shown he can play in the outfield, they don't really have as much of a need uh, for Jackie Bradley Jr. to to be on that roster. Um, you know, Taylor can play a really solid center field if Kane can't go. Um, and they're really kind of in a, in a good spot with that group. So I could see a world in which he's left off for sure, but I could also see a world, like you said, you know, if they go 15 position players or uh, if they go 14 position players, that they end up keeping them on uh, to, to be on the roster. Yeah, I totally agree in that he should be nowhere near the batter's box, but you know, that glove in the outfield late in games as a defensive replacement is very, very valuable, not to mention the postseason experience. I mean, this is a guy who's played yeah. in some big, big games in the past. And to have that rub off against the other guys in the clubhouse uh, is a huge asset to have. So um, I, I think the Brewers end up carrying him almost strictly for that, to be honest. Um whether or not he should or shouldn't make it over certain people is a different question. Um, but I think they value him enough as a teammate where he makes it, but it still counts in the surprise category. I agree because of basically, you know, how he has performed offensively the entire season. Yeah. It, it's really kind of been a, a really tough go for him the, the entire season. And I mean, based on offensive performance, he should not make this roster at all. Um, but yeah, as you mentioned, his defense is great. Um, and he can really kind of provide a boost there. And, and that postseason experience um, is, is also wonderful. Um, and he was a previously an ALCS MVP, yep. although he only hit 200 in that series when he won MVP. But, you know, just saying. Uh, all right. That will do it for the uh, mailbag. Those are all the questions we got there. Um, and that'll do it for us this week on the pod. Uh, Matt. It's been good to have a, to, to share a beer here and, and talk some baseball. Yes. Um, we made it an hour without punching a wall or breaking our hands. Um, <laughs> so we survived. Um, and now we're we're getting ready for the postseason. Next time we, we have a podcast, it's going to be a regular season is going to be done. And we're going to be ready for for some playoff baseball. Postseason preview. Get ready for it. Let's go. It's going to be exciting. We're excited for it. Um, we're excited to bring it to you next week. Uh, thank you for listening. Thank you for sending in the questions. Um, hopefully we can do some more mailbags uh, soon, and hopefully we get we uh, have some more guests on soon as well. That'll do it for us this week. Be sure to follow us on Twitter. Uh, I am at DGasper24. Follow Matt at MKEMatt13. And, of course, follow the podcast account at ColdBrew underscore pod. That'll do it for us this week. We'll see you next week for another episode of the Cold Brew Podcast.